So walk me through the day in Afghanistan when you stepped on the IED and from that morning you woke up, how did you feel? What was going down? What was the mission? Was it just like any other day? I mean, walk, take, take me through that. Yeah, so we were doing a push. We were pushing into Sangin, um, taking over from the British. And basically a push for anybody that's not, you know, kind of spun up on military lingo is uh, you, <laughs> you go in that direction and the Taliban either tries to stop you or they retreat. Hmm. And so we were, we had a column of vehicles going, uh, I think, northwest. And I was with a squad that was kind of on the outside, outside of that vehicle column, providing security, looking out for ambushes, things like that. And there's, you know, gunfights going on, IED blasts uh, in various places. Um, but that day was relatively quiet for, for us, my squad. And eventually we come to a point where we take a break. We're kind of reconnected back with the main body. And we take a break and maybe 15 minutes, get something to eat, that kind of thing. And then we step off and our point man steps on an IED. And, and this is all dismounted, no vehicles? This is all dismounted for us, yeah. There were vehicles in the area, but we were all dismounted. Um, what size element were you guys, squad, platoon? It was a battalion push. Okay. But I was with a squad of 13 or so. Okay. And then we came back in contact with the battalion at that point. And then when we step off to kind of go our own separate ways, uh, our point man steps on an IED. Okay. And luckily, uh, his IED mal the IED malfunctioned. So just the blasting cap exploded. It was a very small, it's like a little firecracker going off, created mm -hmm. dust. Um, but that kind of, you know, that kind of thing can happen. Uh, these things are made homemade. So whoever made the IED could have messed up the mixture or they could have put the blasting cap, their little homemade <coughs> blasting cap in wrong, mm -hmm. or maybe the explosives got wet because the container leaked. Who knows what happened, but the, uh, his, the IED did not, did not explode for him, which is good, but that tells us that there's IEDs in the there's neighborhood. There's another IED right there because one of the, the procedures for Taliban and Al-Qaeda too in Iraq and Afghanistan is to, where there's one, they're going to put two, they're going to put three, they're going to put multiple ones because they know one guy steps on it, everybody comes running for him, mm. boom, the rescuers get hit, boom, the rescuers from over here get hit, so they, they know. Yeah. So even when there's an IED strike, you can't just run over there because right. there's going to be, you have to actually clear to the guy and obviously, I don't know. That's rough. I don't know if anybody's ever done a full clear when they're doing that. I yeah. think you probably just risk your own life and run over there and get tourniquets on him because he's probably going to, uh, I don't think the guy, the guys that, you know, came to me, I don't know how, how well of a clearance they did. So how there. far were you when that first guy got hit? We were all... At leading point, I mean, are you within a... 20, 30 foot. Yeah, we were all in that, in that general area, probably, you know, within 30 feet of each other. But we, were, able, and we were getting into a staggered column. But was he able to just stay mobile and keep, didn't need a medical attention because you said it malfunctioned? No, yeah, he? no, no injuries. Okay. Just, you know, So you keep scared. going, you're mo you keep. Um, but we don't keep moving because we know that if we keep moving, that's a danger area now. So any direction, there could be another ID. So we don't know where it. it is. So I had to come up and start clearing <laughs> from that point. Uh, that point forward into our, our into our area, and I did what I just told you about. It looked it was an old area, so it could have been that I didn't see any visual indicators because the ground had already been baked back. 
Mm. Um, or maybe I just missed whatever indicator they may have been, or maybe there wasn't. Maybe this guy that buried him was just that good. Mm. Um, and then I went forward and had some hits, but didn't really uh, didn't really think that anything was worth investigating. And had then, some hits meaning hearing the beep. Hearing, yeah, hearing the metal detector going right. off. I probably, you know, if I could go back, I probably should have just investigated everything because obviously mm -hmm. there's going to be another IED in there, but, you know, um, it's a difficult, it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and then I was just doing that, and then everything went black for me for about 20 seconds. So do you have a, you don't very specifically recall that second of stepping on an no. IED? You don't. No, I don't recall that uh, that instant. Um, what I recall is, you know, being being up here and taking a step, and then in an instant, it's like being teleported. Wow! Uh, being teleported to on my back, screaming, tunnel vision, uh, that kind of thing. So you're walk. Do you remember? Can you picture it in your mind actually walking with with the metal detector? Yeah, vaguely. I mean, the memories before. Right. Um, are not great. And I've had other guys tell me slightly different versions of what I just told you. Interesting. But I'm kind of telling you what I remember. Um, so you're, you're, going, you're clearing the path. You obviously step on an IED. Step on the pressure plate, yeah. Step on the pressure point. Or maybe it was a radio control. I mean, we don't know. And then 20 seconds later, you're laying on your back looking up, screaming. Yeah, in an instant for me. Right. Probably about 20 seconds in real time. And I, I heard some other stuff you mentioned prior videos I've seen of you, you talk about the, this conscious and unconscious mind. You, you, yeah. You didn't, you, were you aware of the, I, I forget what you, how you explained it, but you, you were aware of the screaming, but trying to stop or what you, you, your body was just, your mind was just taken over. Yeah. It was like my conscious control of my body pulled back entirely. Just kind of went into a shell and then the unconscious uh, took over. And so my body was reacting, it was screaming, and I had the tunnel vision and everything, but I wasn't sitting there going, hey, lungs go, and then do that. I wasn't telling my body to do anything consciously, it was just doing it on its own, pure instinct, I guess, mm. uh, at least in, from my perspective. And But that, after maybe 15 seconds of that, I guess, um, Maybe the endorphins came around. My my control started to come back, and that's when I started. You know, I could smell dust. I mean, I was I was pretty aware of what had happened. You know, I I knew what had happened. Yeah, you hey instantly. I stepped on an ID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty obvious. You know, even even during that period where my <clears throat> consciousness had kind of pulled back, and so then I started being able to smell like the dust, and there's a there's a, a stench of. <clears throat> chemical explosions that when they go off, there's a distinct kind of smell. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, but I could smell that, and then I could feel that my legs were painfully numb. Like when you fall asleep on your arm, um, and it goes numb, and it hurts, like multiply that by 100, 100 times or so, and it kind of felt like that in my legs. So it didn't, wasn't pain, but it was like this really kind of painful numbness um, and I could feel I was trying to I, I was trying to twitch my legs, twitch my, or they felt like my calves and my feet and my knees were twitching, but you wow. know, nothing was actually happening. And then tell me about the immediate medical attention care yeah. that was um, tourniquets. Right. I mean, the guys that were with me were you know they 
they had to clear over to me at least in an expedient manner. Hmm. And so they were screaming to me that they were coming, they're coming, they're on their way. They get to me, uh, Johnson and Otwell, they put uh, tourniquets on my legs. And I think they had to put like maybe two tourniquets on each leg. And that stops the, you know, the most of the blood. And then eventually the corpsman gets there, gives me morphine and puts the tube in my nose to clear my airway. Um, they take my flak vest off, put me on a stretcher, carry me to this tank that was sitting there. And then um, the tank took me to meet a helicopter. They had to call in a nine line or medevac? Yeah, they called in the Kazavac, uh, obviously immediately, but yeah. Yeah, so do you remember getting loaded onto the helicopter and, and flying off? Not the helicopter, uh, I remember getting loaded into the tank and then the doc gave me another shot which made me go unconscious. Oh, wow. And then when did you wake up next? Next time I woke up was in Germany. So uh, literally from the tank, you didn't wake up until Germany. Right. This wow. was only about two days. Wow. Uh, so they, they intend to keep you sedated all the way back to the States, but I woke up in Germany. Huh. Um, like you weren't supposed to? I mean, I th it's not that big of a deal. Oh, okay. I think they try and keep you sedated. Yeah. Um, but it can happen where people wake up. And uh, in the meantime, what do they have to stop the bleeding and everything? What's that kind of first 24 hour of medical attention look like? Um, I don't know exactly what all they did, but um, you know, they do whatever surgeons do. They get you in the operating table and they close up the oh. blood vessels. And, you know, so they, were you operated on in Germany? In Afghanistan. They took me to Camp uh, Bastion, Camp yeah. Leatherneck first, I think, and then Camp okay. uh, Camp Bastion. Or no, it's the same place. And then um, Bagram Air Force Base, I think, after that. Got and it. they're, you know, they're assessing my injuries and making kind of decisions about where to amputate. Because um, my injuries originally were below the knee, but a lot of the times there's be there'll be infections that get in there, um, or the tissue is just so shredded that the surgeons kind of are thinking about the surgery with respect to later on being able to put prosthetics on your legs. So, so if there's not a whole lot of viable tissue below the knee, they're just gonna amputate above the knee. So below the knee, were they completely 100% severed from the explosion? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't actually look. I sat up to look, but I decided against it. Right uh, then but, and there on the, like in the- Yeah, yeah. Oh. I was kind of worried that it was going to be like when you're a kid and you scrape your knee, it doesn't hurt that bad, and then you look at it and it's all this pain comes, you know, like that. I thought it was going to be like that. Um, plus, I think in that moment, I made the conscious decision that it probably wasn't uh, an image that I should have uh, in my head for the rest of my life. I don't know how I made that decision, but I've never I, been in the situation, I but I think that would be... Uh, yeah. yeah, I sat up about halfway and I laid back down. Yeah. Um, oh. So I just was told by the guys on site that it was below the knee. Yep. But I don't know exactly, but I've heard from other guys that were there that, you know, completely severed. It's also a testament to our, our the medical team in the military. Because I mean, I read a stat years ago, you know, these are the wars with the most amputees, right? I mean, I-, I Yeah, because people were actually surviving. Right, right. Yeah. right. They're surviving, but again, most amputees because we're able to provide that emergency treatment right then and there, the tourniquet, life-saving techniques tourniquet, immediately helicopters. to- Right. Yeah. So- and then surgeons, it's like phenomenal surgeons, so. Yeah, so first operation in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. but you were out for that. 
obviously. Yeah. I mean, for the opera, clearly. And then you don't, you don't wake up again until Germany. Yeah. And then who was the fir first person? Were you, were you in a hospital in Germany? Or are you like in an airfield waiting to go back to the States? Uh, hospital, uh, you know, intensive care ward. And I was only there for about 12 hours while I waited. They try and get you back as soon as, as oh, possible. Sure. Yeah. 